Good morning. Welcome. Are we getting to a, into a rhythm yet? Feel like you're getting into one? <laughs> um, so I just want to acknowledge that Isaiah is a challenging book. It's a lot of material. And the study is proving to be challenging as well. Um, for me, I don't know. Are y'all feeling that? <laughs> So I hope the focused questions we're going to start providing for you and that we did this last week were helpful. Um, I don't want you to get bogged down or feel discouraged and give up. Um, go with the questions that are meaningful. There's some questions where I was like, I do not know the answer she wants to this. Like, what? I, I don't know. So um, if you're feeling that way, you're not alone. <laughs> um, this morning, we're going to be covering three chapters, Isaiah 7 through 9, that holds a powerhouse of good news and God's promises for us, um, as we've already sung about. So let's begin in prayer, and then we're going to dive in. Gracious God, you are our almighty God. Lord, it is hard to fathom the profound nature of who you are and this God who comes so near to us. And so, God, we pray this morning that you would give us humility, open hands and open hearts and open minds to receive your word, that you might breathe on us anew, that we might see you in new ways and that you might call us into deeper fellowship and discipleship with you. And that we might be reminded that you are the God who keeps his promises and that you can be trusted. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. So, um, Isaiah chapter 7 opens with what I think is a moment of opportunity and invitation. And I'm going to explain that. So Isaiah 7 opens with King Ahaz of Judah facing threats. From Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the king of Israel. Now, just to explain, Israel's been divided into the northern and southern kingdoms, right? So Israel is now the northern kingdom. Judah is the southern kingdom. Judah, which also has Jerusalem as its um, cornerstone. So uh, Israel is fighting against Israel. <laughs> I mean, this is a moment where brothers, the northern kingdom, is plotting with Syria to overtake um, Judah. Uh, this situation, as we find out in the opening verses, has King Ahaz, as it says in the text, shaking as a tree in the forest shakes before the wind. Ahaz and all the people shaking as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And so um, after in chapter six, we saw this glorious vision that Isaiah has of the Lord and his proper response of terrifying, trembling, and yet he's commissioned by God to go. And so this is this is when this is like the action happens, right? This was glorious vision, and now we're in real life. The prophet has been sent to Ahaz to go tell him one thing. Do not fear. Why? Because Rezin and Pekah are nothing to worry about, God says. They are a lot of smoke, not any fire. It says they're a smoldering stump. What's a smoldering stump? It's something that's about to go out in a fire pit, right? 
So Ahaz then tells, or Isaiah then tells Ahaz that in fact, within 75 years, these two nations will not exist as they are. They won't be a powerhouse. They're not going to be a problem. They're going to be destroyed. Then Isaiah issues these words of warning and words of promise together. They're both. It's words of warning and promise from God in this statement that um, Isaiah 7, 9. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. There's a play on words here with the word firm. It's if you are not firm, you will not be firm. If you are not firm in your faith, you will not be firm. So unbelief, a lack of grounding in trust will lead to instability. I've chosen this verse as the verse for the week. You have it on your memory cards. And I think it's a good one because it's this whole section, these nine chapters revolve around this verse and they're working out, the working out of these words of promise and these words of warning. So Ahaz is shaking in fear of these nations that are coming against him. And what will he do? What will he do? It's here the opportunity and the invitation is issued. In the midst of your fear, stand firm in your faith and trust God. So the question is, will he trust God or trust in something else? These words are given to one in the place in a place of fear. They're words to Ahaz, but they're words to us as well. So I want you to think for a moment. We're going to go deep. <laughs> what in your life right now is causing you fear and anxiety? Feel free to take a moment, write down what comes to mind. What in your life right now is causing you fear or anxiety? Or if you want to sit with it a little deeper, what is your deepest fear? What is your deepest fear? For most of us, it's not threat of invasion, right? Like it was for Ahaz. Though some around the world do live with that threat for their life and their livelihood. But for us in our day-to-day life, what are those pressing fears you experience? The things that keep you up at night or the things that wake you up at night? The things that occupy your thoughts during the day with anxious stirrings? What fears rise in you as you sit still and listen? Fear of insignificance, fear of isolation or loneliness, Fear of lack of security, fear in relationships, fear about your health or the health of someone you love. Our fears can take so many forms, can't they? They can be caused by so many things. But regardless of what forms our fears take, we're always issued an invitation in the midst of them. The invitation to hold fast, to stand firm. In the promises of God. And that's the invitation that Ahaz was issued. Now, not only that, to help boost his confidence, God goes a step further and he's given an additional invitation to ask for a sign. It says, as low as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven, ask for whatever you want to reinforce what God has said. But Ahaz actually refuses this in a very pious manner that he will not put the Lord to the test, but it's really just a cover for his disbelief. And God, not being fooled by his false piety that masks distrust, then through Isaiah tells him this, that God's going to give him a sign anyways. 
And this is a verse we know so well. A child born of a virgin who will be called Emmanuel, God with us. It's interesting to have these well-known prophecies in their context, isn't it? I found it kind of fascinating to discover what is going on here that this was issued. And there is so much debate about the meaning of this Emmanuel sign within this specific context in Isaiah 7. I'm not going to get into it because I don't actually fully understand it. But it's clear from the New Testament that God, through Isaiah, was speaking about more than just this moment in history with Ahaz. Right? Here, but listen to this, the setting, the context of this sign and prophecy is in the midst of a place of unbelief and distrust. A failure to trust God. And we find that God moves towards us anyway in the promise of withness. Withness, being with us. He promises to be the God who is with us and for us despite our disbelief. Only later is it realized that this sign was the good news fulfilled in Jesus Christ in his person and work. The word made flesh that truly became God with us, right? We know that now on this side of the cross. Yet in this context of Isaiah 7, this sign was not good news for him, friends. It was a sign of judgment. Isaiah foretells that before this child is grown, that's prophesied. And so there was, in that time, someone that was born. And it's all very confusing. I can have a conversation with you later about what I understand. But before this child is grown, the threat that Ahaz so fears, Syria and Israel, they'll no longer exist. So God will take care of his concern there. But because Ahaz didn't trust God, because he would not trust God... And if you go back to 2 Kings 16, you'll see that the details are unraveled, that uh, Ahaz makes a deal with the king of Assyria to help deal with the threat of Assyria. It's very confusing. There's Assyria, who he makes a deal with, to deal with the threats of Syria and Israel. So because Ahaz does this, he doesn't trust God. God tells Ahaz that the very nation that he trusted in for help is going to be the nation that destroys him. The end of Isaiah 7, the second half, and the beginning of Isaiah 8 unpacks this destruction, right? God says, I will whistle and a fly will come from Egypt and will just destroy the land. That's the end of chapter 7. And then in um, chapter 8, in verse 5, it talks about, because they refused the waters of Shiloh, Now, that was the primary water source for Jerusalem. And it symbolized God as being their primary source for care and provision. That's why that's used there. It's a metaphor. Because you refused God's care and provision for your life, you refused the waters of Shiloh, they're going to be swept over by another water, a ravenous water that comes, the rivers, the nation of Assyria, that will sweep over them and come up to their necks, it says, flooding them in the land. Judah's failure to trust God for deliverance and instead turning to the nation of Assyria for help will lead them to to suffer the very destruction they so feared by the nation they chose to turn to for help. 
Hmm. The irony of it. Okay, let's pause here. Are you with me so far? We've done all of chapter 7. We're in half of chapter 8. I hope that unravels the confusing mess that that was for me trying to unpack it. I don't know why. It was just hard for me to figure out what was going on. I want to dig into two things here. The first is sorting through fear and faith. Ahaz is an example for us of one who responds out of fear instead of faith. And ironically, it results in the very thing which he fears overtaking him. You see, to Ahaz, the way of faith in God seemed inadequate. It seemed inadequate. And yet the worldly alternative that he preferred is the very thing that drowns him in the end. He could not discern his ally from his enemy. Because he refused to do what Isaiah said, which was trust God and look at the situation from God's perspective. He was ruled by fear and he made a bad decision. One commentary noted this. I thought it was a very wise piece of advice. Decisions made out of fear will almost always be bad. Decisions made out of fear will almost always be bad ones. He allowed his fear to lead him to choose the seemingly more secure earthly power, right? He could see the nation of Assyria. He could see their power. So it led him to opt for that place for help. So I want to go back to the fears that we've named earlier. And as you think about your fears, what do they make you cling to? What do they drive you toward in that place of fear? See, that's the question for us. There's the fear to be named, but there's also the way in which it turns us towards something. For Ahaz, it was the nation of Assyria, the seemingly power that could handle his fear. What do your fears drive you toward? A person or a relationship, your work, political power, status, prestige, recognition, money. There are many things in this world our fears drive us toward. Whatever it is, friends, it will probably not provide the security you're looking for from your fears. And it will probably lead you into what you fear. Ahaz teaches us to be careful of our alliances. Be careful of your alliances. Be careful of what you look to to provide the security from what you fear. You see, whenever we're confronted with our fears, we always have a choice between fear and faith. The ultimate question we come up against in our fears is who or what are you going to trust? What's going to be your go-to in the midst of them? God calls us to trust him, right? But that requires faith. Faith is not just a belief in certain doctrines. Faith is fundamentally belief and confidence in God's care for you. Confidence in God's care for you. That's faith. Ahaz was invited to trust God's care for Jerusalem and the dynasty of David despite the threat he faced because God had promised to preserve the house of David, hadn't he? That's why in this section, I don't know if you noticed, Isaiah sometimes when speaking to King Ahaz refers to him several times as the house of David. Did you catch that? In verse 2, 7, 2, and seven thirteen, he refers to him as the house of David, because Ahaz was part of a larger promise. 
It wasn't just about him and about whether a nation was going to come knocking on his door. It was about a larger promise God has already made to them. Faith is always faith. Friends, it's the assurance of things we can't see. Can't see it. It's a step into the unknown, but it's always with the security of God's promises. So we may not have a prophet by our side telling us the future. It has had that. We still chose not to leave. We may not have a prophet by our side telling us what's going to happen in the midst of our fears, but we do have this God's prophetic word. God's promises to us, friends, that tell us no matter the future we face, no matter the fears that are before us, a few things are for certain. God is for us in love and mercy. God has claimed us as his own. We are beloved, valued, loved, delighted in God by God himself. God gives us strength for today by the power of his spirit. There is no power in heaven or on earth that can stand against those who stand in Christ. Sisters, there is no power in heaven or on earth that can stand against those who stand in Christ. That is a promise we have. Even in the loss and the pain and the struggle and the suffering we have in this life, the spirit of the crucified and risen Jesus Christ indwells in us. Romans says that his spirit holds us present before the Father, praying for us for the deepest needs that we have that we don't even know how to pray for, and that he's working for our redemption and good. And so our pain and our suffering and our struggle in this life, it is not the end of the story. That's a promise. We have the reality of Emmanuel, God with us. In 714, where Isaiah issues the sign and promise of Emmanuel, its primary assertion here is that deliverance will come. Deliverance will come. Not through military might or alliances or by the things we turn to to aid us as we come up against our greatest fears, but through God. By a God who keeps his promises. So the question before us when we're sorting through faith and fear is, are we going to side with fear or side with the promises of God? The second thing that this section in Isaiah shows us is that whether we are trusting in God or not, we cannot exclude God from the equation. You see, failure to take into account God's presence and his ability to deal with the threats and fears we face does not change the fact that God is in control, that he's the all-powerful one, and that he is the God with us. Even though Assyria will overtake Judah, Assyria is still messing around with God's with us people, right? He's still messing around with them. Emmanuel's people and the enemies of God will be shattered, even if they are used by him for his purposes. That was that kind of strange section in eight, nine through 10, where it talks, I mean, it's talking about the waters overflowing them, but then it goes on and say, you know, you that gird up, bring y'all, you know, come to battle, you're going to be shattered. That's what that was about. Even though Assyria was used by God for his purposes, they are still coming up against God's people and they will pay the price. God still has our back even in our disobedience and the consequences that follow from them. 
Then we get to this great passage that captivated me in chapter 8. I'm going to read it. So after declaring in verse 10, when he talks about you who have come up against my people, you're going to be shattered, right? Even though you brought the plundering of the land, that cannot change the fact that the land is still the land of God with us. Verse 10, 810 ends with that. For God is with us. Verse 11, then the Lord spoke to thus to me. He's talking to, uh, the me is Isaiah here. The Lord spoke to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of the people, saying, do not call conspiracy all that this people call conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. And then Isaiah says this in response, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Judah and I will hope in him. Here we get this inescapable fact of life. God is with us. And there's a dual significance to this existential reality. We're going to call it the Emmanuel principle. Okay? The Emmanuel principle is one way or another, we will encounter God. God is with us. And God will be a force in our life one way or another. He cannot be avoided. Those who make a place for him at the center, who root their very selves in trust and faith, will find that he is the one who holds all things together and is their safe place. To those who ignore God, find their lives askew and don't know why. Their lives When he is left out, their lives don't work right. God will be involved in our lives one way or another. And God tells us, I can either be a sanctuary for you that you rest in from everything the world throws at you, or he can be the thing we stumble over. Right? So in this life, we either find ourselves resting in God or tripping over God. We will find ourselves resting in God or tripping over God. So this passage, this section is, um, in First Peter, it's used to talk about Jesus as the cornerstone, right? That people stumble over because they didn't get it. And it is talking about a larger belief or unbelief in Jesus Christ. But I also think it speaks to us as believers in our day-to-day life of trusting God. If we fail to trust him, In all those moments, in our fears and our anxieties and the things that come up in our life, if we fail to trust him as our sanctuary, we're going to trip over him as we try to fill the void of our souls with other things. Possession, work, power, significance, pleasure, people. Even though we have faith in God, we still have a tendency to want to fill those deeper longings in us with other things, don't we? That's a journey of faith, learning to trust God, isn't it? With everything Not just Jesus as Savior, but Jesus as Lord, right? So when we turn to a person to give us full devotion and love, it doesn't work. 
When we turn to work to give us full, complete, complete fulfillment, it doesn't work. When we turn to titles or accomplishments or likes on social media, right? That's a whole strange new world that I feel like I'm stuck in junior high again. <laughs> to give us value and meaning, it doesn't work. When we turn to pleasure to give us total joy, it doesn't work. We are tripping over God in those places. Ahaz falls prey to his fears rather than fearing God. Did you catch that in here? That this interesting play of don't fear other things, fear me, fear your God. All these other people are running around with all these fears. You direct your fears to me in that an awe of knowing who I am. Rather than making God his sanctuary and trusting him, Ahaz found God to be a stumbling block as he trusted other things. The fact was that God was with Ahaz, right? God had his back. But a failure to rest in this Emmanuel principle, this Emmanuel truth, led to his destruction. And here in Isaiah 8, 11 through 17, God is encouraging Isaiah, do not fear the unknown, but fear the God who holds the unknown. Do not fear the unknown, but fear the God who holds the unknown. Make God your sanctuary through fear of him and trust in him alone. Ahaz didn't do it. The people of Judah didn't do it. I mean, in the end of this, the end of the chapter eight, we see this. The people of Judah says they're running around in their fear and anxiety, seeking assurance from mediums and spirits and dead, the dead. And as a result, they descend into distress and chaos. Chapter 8 ends with this verse. And they will look into the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. That's the path of not trusting God, the path of stumbling. That's where it leads us to, darkness. We are back to where we began, aren't we? The warning and promise of Isaiah 7, 9 has held true. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. You will trip and stumble and wind up in darkness. But we're not done. We have one small section left. Friends, even in darkness, the Emmanuel principle still stands. Even in our darkness, our faithlessness, our disbelief, light breaks through. Close your eyes and listen to this if you want. The people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, a house of David that will never fall. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice, with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore. And why is this possible? This section ends with these words. Because the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do it. God will accomplish it. God has our backs. God is with us. He does not leave us in the darkness. What fears are you facing today? What has you anxious? 
Can I encourage you to rest in God rather than tripping over him? Let him be your fear and you will find your fears cared for. Stand firm, friends. How do we stand firm on this side of the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ? I want to close with three things. We can heed the advice that Isaiah gives uh, Ahaz in the very beginning. uh, Verse 4, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, do not let your heart fade. That's the first thing that Isaiah says to him. Be careful, be quiet, do not fear. Be careful. Show caution and awareness. Name your fears. Identify them and identify the things they drive you toward, right? Being aware of them helps us not to make bad decisions in the midst of them, right? Be quiet. Still yourself. Quiet down and listen so you can discern truth from not truth, right? Allow your decisions, your responses to your fears to grow out of the calmness born in trust And often, rooting ourselves in that place of trust is stilling the noise and the voices outside so we can be reminded of who God is and who we are. Be careful, be quiet, do not fear. Claim God's promises. Root yourself in reality, in the Emmanuel principle, the truth that God is for you and with you. You do not need to fear. God is on your side. I was recently in Mark 9, this is the second thing, uh, which is a passage of a father asking Jesus to heal his son. And in the moment, Jesus, he says, if you can, and Jesus says, if, if, <laughs> let me just tell you who I am, all things are possible for those who believe. And you know what the father's response is? I believe, help my unbelief. Sometimes, friends, our faith does falter. And so we can be honest with God in that. That can be our prayer at times. I believe, help my unbelief. God, I don't have enough of what I need here. Help me. The other place I was struck with um, that has this charge to stand firm is Ephesians 6, the armor of God. Did you know four times, four times, Paul tells us to stand or stand firm. So I'm just going to read a small section that has that just repeated over and over. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the day of evil. And having done all to stand firm, Stand, therefore, and then it lists all the ways that we put on the armor of God. Remember, friends, the zeal of the Lord will do this. God has your back. He can be trusted. Let us pray. Gracious God, help us to lean into the Emmanuel principle that you are a God who is with us and for us. And Lord God, we want to rest in you instead of tripping over you. We want you to be our sanctuary from everything we are experiencing in this world so that we will have that calm center. Lord, help us. In Jesus' name, amen.